chapter 1. Amen. But one thing I see in chapter 1 here is he's laying a foundation down for us. It's a very doctrinal book. You're learning a lot of the teachings, especially salvation doctrine, coming in the first eight chapters here, six chapters especially. And this first chapter, he's really just laying down the fact of the importance of the gospel. And in order for the gospel to be effective, we have to understand that um, all, there's a lot of things involved, a lot of doctrines, a lot of uh, things underneath it that give it, give it its power. And uh, I think today we kind of relegate it as, oh, just pray to Jesus and you'll go to heaven, <laughs> you know? And uh, we don't understand. It's not just about praying to Jesus. It's about trusting him. It's about trusting what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. That's not something you just do with your mouth or do with your head. That's, the Bible says you believe in your heart. Amen. You ever wonder why people act a certain way, but they say they believe something else? I believe this, but I'm doing opposite. That's because many times people tell you what they believe here, but they show you what they believe here. It's two different belief systems. That's why the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Amen. So you can believe two things at the same time. Opposite things, you know. The one is when people ask you for the answer and you know that this is the right answer. The second is what you really believe in your experience and what you're really trusting in. And that's what's going to show forth. That's the true belief. That's why the Bible says about salvation, it has to be from your heart, not your mind. It's got to be a heart trust, not just because I prayed a prayer. It's got to be because I've trusted in my heart what Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary. Amen. Romans 1.14, it says this, I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. We looked at that last week about owing the lost to give them the gospel. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you that you just give me the power I need to preach this message. And I pray you would find a place in our hearts, Lord, especially thinking about the missions conference coming up this weekend. And uh, Lord, we need to prepare our hearts. And I pray you'd use this to help us sort things out, help us to see the importance of our part in the gospel ministry. I pray your blessing as we go into this message now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, he says, I am ready to preach the gospel. I think we as Christians, we need to have that same phrase on our lips, I'm ready. I'm ready. It doesn't mean you know the whole Bible. It doesn't mean you've got it all memorized. But there's something in you that you've pre-prepared yourself so that when the opportunity arises, you can tell someone about Christ. If you're waiting for just situational ethics to take place, oh, well, it'll just come. <laughs> Well, no, there's some things that Paul had already going on here. And the first thing he understood is that he owed them a debt. I owe the world. So when someone out there is lost and I have this message, 
I am in debt to them to give them that message. So that's a part of your pre-preparation for giving them the gospel. You've got to understand that you owe a debt. And that debt is to give them the gospel. So your coworkers, your lost family members, don't stand back and say, well, you know, I, I just don't really have that gift. Well, whether you're gifted or not, you owe the debt. Yeah. You owe the debt. You have, to, you have to pay that debt. You have to do what you can. It goes on here, and this is what I wanted to bring out today this second part to this. So we know that we owe a debt, but then we also have so many different people in different walks of life, different ages. We have children, we have elderly people, we have people that cannot walk well. So are they going to come out door knocking with us? <laughs> you know. So the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.15, he says, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. So what that's doing is saying, hey, whatever I can do, that's what I will do. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Now understand, like sometimes I just had a knee surgery. I, you know, I felt so bad because before the knee surgery, we were going out and giving out Spanish John and Romans at the market. After the knee surgery in Mexico there, uh, we weren't walking around giving out John and Romans. <laughs> that's because... After the knee surgery, I didn't have that in me to do it. Amen. But before I did. So you got different seasons of life and the different times of life and things you're going through. There's sometimes you cannot do everything that you would like to do. But the Bible says, as much as in me is, you ought to do it. We prepare by using all of our resources and abilities to accomplish the task. I tell people, when we do have our regular time of soul winning, and we'll be getting back to that in the summertime here, you may not be able to walk with us. And I know what that's like. <laughs> I know how frustrated I was when I had so much pain walking bone on bone uh, down the street and going up the stairs of every house when we are doing the door hangers. I was really frustrated with myself because I wanted so bad to do it you got to realize sometimes what you can and cannot do. Yeah. And so you realize, you know, preacher, I'd be out there. In spirit, I'm with you. <laughs> but what you can do is you can pray while we're out there. Yeah. Amen. See, that's in you. Amen. Do you think for a second that someone that is taking time praying while others are out there doing the work is not going to get equal fruit from the labor than the one that's actually doing the walking and the talking. I believe as long as we're willing to use all that we can do, our resources, our time, our prayer life, whatever it is we can give, and we do it, I think that God, that God will bless us for it. Amen? We all have limitations. Physically, sometimes mentally. Amen? I've known people... In my first ministry, he was a, a fine, godly man, but he had scoliosis of the spine. That means his spine had a curvature that went like this, sideways. And I'll tell you, that man was in constant pain 24-7, and he would not miss church. And I'd ask him, I'd say, Steve, how are you doing today? He goes like this. You remember that? He's just a, 
kind of that little grin. In other words, you know, he's hurting. But as much as in him was, boy, I tell you, God loves that. God loves that. We got to get to the point where as much as is in us, that's what we will do. So it's not always you can do what I can do and I can do what you can do. But we got to be honest with ourselves. As much as we can do, we ought to be doing it. We ought to be giving ourselves to the gospel ministry. We're coming up to our missions conference, you know. We, we have people that are going to present their ministries that have taken their families and moving to a different country. They're, they're bringing their family and they're, they're living within a, a reserve surrounded by all kinds of spiritism and all these different things. Now you say, well, I don't think that's in me to do. And I understand that. It takes a special man to, to work a ministry like that. But do you know what you can do? You can help them get there. You can help him stay there. You can give him the resources that he needs while he is there. See, you may not go, but you don't write it off then. <laughs> oh, well, I can't go to Belize, so I guess I got nothing to do that. No, no, no. <laughs> Even in the ministry of the gospel to Belize, there is still something in you that you can do. And you need to determine what that is. And you need to honestly, before God, say, Lord, I'm willing, I'm ready. <laughs> for as much as in me is, this is what I will do for the gospel ministry to the lost souls in Belize. Yeah. And even though I can't go, <laughs> I'm going to do what I can. Amen. That's a good principle. Some of us could encourage people to continue to be faithful, winning souls. And you say, preacher, I'd be with you, but I just can't. My legs don't work or whatever it may be. But you know what you could do? You could be a, a light here in this congregation. You see a young man or a young lady say, hey, are you going out and doing something for God? I'll tell you, even the encouragement you can give by your words to somebody, that's something that's in you. God, help you if you're discouraging them. <laughs> I've had people, I've had to deal with people like that in my ministries before. Sometimes when they feel that they're not doing everything, they've got to bring everybody down to their level. <laughs> Amen? If I'm not doing anything, then I don't want anybody to do anything. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, wrong answer. But as much as in you is, you ought to do it. Most of us, can leave a gospel tract at a table at a restaurant for your server. I think all of us have that in us. Say, preacher, I can't afford to go to the restaurant. Well, then that's not in you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but you go somewhere. <laughs> you go to the grocery store. You're going to get some groceries. Whatever is in you to do, you ought to do that. Amen. You can give, you can pray to missions. For, for missions ministry in the church. I mean, praying for me helps. <laughs> uh, this year especially, I've, I've really found the need for people to pray for me and my family. I had uh, Oscar just tell me before the services, he says, you need prayer. He says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
I feel I have a target on me every week of the, of the year, you know. I think the only thing that keeps us going through is that people are praying for us, you know. So please don't stop. Please don't stop. That's in you. If you can just help me to keep going spiritually here and, 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 and encourage me before the Lord in prayer, I'll tell you something, that'll help this church to do more for the gospel ministry. That's something it's in you to do. Amen? And we've got to start looking at these things in the, in the church and say, what can I do to be a better help to get the gospel to the world? Stop complaining. Stop the thumb-sucking. Stop thinking that nobody loves me and saying, God, what can I do for them? What can I do for the lost? Stop saying, why isn't everybody doing this for me? Me, 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 me. Like I said in Sunday school, that's a depressing subject. You'll be a depressed person thinking about yourself all the time. Think about others. (laughs) You'll start to have joy in your heart. Amen. So we prepare by using our resources, whatever that is, as much as in me is, that's what we're going to do. And I hope the Lord used that to help you understand some things. But we also prepare by not being ashamed of the gospel. Not being ashamed of the gospel. Now, I know what this is. I've been ashamed. You have too, if you're willing to admit it. There's a time where you have felt that I need to give somebody the gospel and you didn't. You backed out. You got fearful. That's what the word ashamed means. It's a very powerful doctrine there, that that doctrine of being ashamed, (laughs) you know. It says in verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If we are ashamed of the gospel, we will certainly not be ready to preach it, but we'll shy away from talking about Christ and the good news of his free gift of salvation. You know, we, we talk religious things sometimes, but I'll tell you, naming the name of Christ is hard for people to talk about. Yeah. It's like sometimes people say, hey, I got this great movie and it's about God. And you, you say, oh, really? Finally, there's a good movie about God. <laughs> you watch this thing and they don't mention Jesus one time. That name. Well, I'll tell you, it is the sweetest name I know. But I'll tell you some. this world hates it. They don't mind you talking about God. But they don't want you talking about Jesus. That's a little bit too narrow. (laughs) A little bit too specific. When you're talking to people on the job site, you don't just talk about God. You talk about Jesus. They're not getting saved by going to God. They're getting saved by going through Christ to God. Without Christ, there is no to God. We need to understand that. And that's why the devil doesn't mind if we talk about God. But he hates it when we bring that mediator between God and man into the picture. The one that bridged the gap between God and man. The one that made it possible for sinners to become righteous. Amen? He doesn't want to talk about him. And you know something? That's when we usually shy away from the truth is when it comes to talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. To be ashamed is to be inverted, to draw away, to withdraw yourself. 
The first time being ashamed is in the Bible is directly after Adam and Eve sinned. Do you remember that? Where they became ashamed, the Bible says, because they were naked. We'll say, well, yeah. (laughs) But the interesting thing is this. They tried to cover themselves. And yet they still hid themselves. They were still ashamed. You know when they stopped becoming ashamed? When they allowed the Lord to dress them. See, the Lord had to shed the blood of the animal, which is a picture of Christ. The Lord put the skin of that animal on them, and then they became confident. See, now we're covered. It's adequate. Amen? Many times we're ashamed of giving out the gospel because you're doing it your way. You're doing it in your strength with your little uh, fig leaves. When in all reality, you don't need the fig leaves. You need God's power in your life. And that's why it says, for I'm not ashamed, for it is the power of God. This has a lot to do with our understanding or our moving forward and giving out the gospel is understanding that it is the power of God. It is the power of God. It's not just a cute Sunday school message. It's just not something I'm supposed to say. (laughs) This message I'm about to give somebody has a potential to change their complete eternity. And by the way, this message is the only way that they will change. That's pretty powerful. Amen. But when we're ashamed, we don't really believe that. We don't believe in the power of God. See, you know, when you become ashamed, it's when you were, you had so much hope in something you were putting your confidence in, and then you found out it wasn't enough. And when it wasn't enough, you began to feel ashamed because it wasn't enough. That's why the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall not be ashamed. That means if you will call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, what's going to happen is one day you're going to stand before him and you will not be ashamed for the fact that you called upon him. And the Lord told you that before you even got saved. He says, I'll tell you something. If you will trust me and call to me, you will not be ashamed. And what he's pointing towards is the end of the line, the end of the picture. He's saying, when you meet God, you know what you're going to say? Whoa, I'm glad I turned to Christ. No shame there. And the reason why we're ashamed is we're still not convinced that it's powerful enough to make the difference in people's lives. And until we get that straight, we will always be ashamed of the gospel. It's true. It's true. We as God's children, we have to be prepared by God to be bold in giving out the gospel. I like 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, why is it that you become ashamed anyways? Well, you don't want to suffer. You don't want people to think ill of you. You don't want to lose friends. You don't want a family member to think, oh, they're just a goody-goody. All these things are going through your mind. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, 
As you know at Philippi, remember what happened there? They were dragged through the streets. They were stripped naked. They were beaten in the market, in, in the square, town square. They were grabbed and thrown into the lowest part of the prison. They were cast into, thrust in there. They were placed in stocks with backs beaten open, whipped. He says, we were shamefully entreated. Well, that's an understatement. So he says, even after that we have suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi. Know what he says next. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Even after we have suffered, even after they beat us and they brought us through all of that, we still lift up our voice boldly preaching the gospel and when we do, there's much contention. That means people oppose us constantly. And yet he says, I'm not ashamed. Boldly, boldly, amen. Sometimes you got to be careful. I heard of one guy who told me that his church had taken them as kids and told them that you guys need to go out and tell everybody about Jesus. And this one guy was telling me that's what he did because he thought that was the right thing to do. Then he went out there and he experienced some pretty bad opposition as a child. He says, ever since then, I've just not done that. (laughs) You see, it sounds good when you say, oh, all my kids go soul winning, our church kids go soul winning, but I'm going to tell you something, this is serious business here. (laughs) You don't play games and little ministry tricks with the gospel. You're putting those children into the front lines of the battle and you don't even understand, you haven't even prepared them for the opposition that they're going to face. That's why the apostles weren't 10 years old. They had gone through stuff. They had to suffer. And soul winners will have to suffer. You'll go to a door and you'll have people calling you names. You'll talk to your friend And they'll drop you like a hot potato. (laughs) You know? You know, the worst thing you can do with that is, well, then I'm just going to stop. No. You see, if you're not prepared, you got to know this, that with the gospel comes an opposition. you got to be ready for that. When you go to that person, you talk to them, you tell them about Christ... They may just completely stab you in the back. And you know what you're going to do? Even after I have suffered, as you know, I boldly preach the gospel. I'm going to the next house. Do you understand that? Stop quitting because it's tough. We are working in a devil's world. And it's becoming more the devil's world as time's going by. We're going to need some Christians that are ready to preach the gospel. We're going to need some Christians that aren't ashamed of standing up and telling something about Christ and not backing out of it. And at the first sign of opposition, we're going to quit. Well, I can't handle that. Well, yes, you can. If you turn to God and let him put the clothes on you, 
Stop putting your fig leaves together. Stop going in your own strength. Stop doing it because of what you want to do. Start doing it because you know that I owe a debt that God has given me. And because I got this gospel, I need to tell others, and there's nothing that's going to stop me. I am ready. Amen? Understanding the power of the gospel will remove the fear and the shame of preaching it. See, the gospel is a message of love towards sinners. Even if people hate the message, there's no greater love someone can express than when you tell someone the gospel that hates God and hates God's way. See, you're loving them. Now, they just think whatever they think about you. But when God sees you giving them the gospel, he says, this person loves them. And they respond negatively. It doesn't matter. You still love them. Amen? It's a message of love for them. Well, they don't see it that way. No, maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not now. But maybe they will in time. Don't quit. 1 John 4.18, this is a verse that helped me quite a bit. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. That means if you're ashamed and you're pulling back from giving people the gospel, it's because you've got a love problem. You've not been made perfect in your love towards the Lord, nor towards those that God loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's a love problem. So if fear is keeping me from giving people the message of the gospel, it's because I have a love problem and that's where I need to start. That's where I need to deal with myself. We love him because he first loved us. When you realize that the gospel is the only way God is able to save that soul and you start seeing that person as a soul that's going to heaven or hell, And you begin to love that person no matter how they talk to you, no matter what they're doing, no matter how evil their life is. And you can look at them and say, I love them and I don't want them to die and go to hell. I'm going to tell them the gospel. It won't matter how they respond to you because your love has has cast away all the fear. Amen? Amen? Understanding the gospel is from God and not man will give us boldness to preach the gospel. The Bible says in Galatians 1.11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was caught up to the third heaven and taught things which is not lawful to utter, the Bible says. But one thing that was lawful to utter, let me give you a clear presentation of what Jesus Christ taught me when I went into heaven. It's called the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a Baptist message, even though Baptists ought to be preaching it. This is not a Mennonite message, although all Mennonites need to be preaching it. This is a message from heaven. The source of the message is God himself. It's not you or me or some denomination or this church or that church. We're simply the ones that are supposed to give it out. But the, the source of it is divine. Yeah. Yeah. It's not of man. It's not humanly made. 
It's not a message that I've concocted because I want to control my people. There are groups like that out there. You got to get baptized here. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to take that sacrament. You got to do this, that, and the other. Folks, that's man-made. But the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that message that saves a soul from hell, that is divine. So when you're giving out this message, you're not giving the man's message. You're giving them a message from God. That ought to get you ready. Amen. It's not a human message that produces human results. It's a divine message that produces divine results. When I'm giving somebody the gospel, I'm not trying to produce in something that I can do. I'm giving them a message because it's a divine message and what's going to happen in in their life is based on what the one that is divine is doing in their life. I can't save a soul. I can't bring a soul into heaven, neither can you. You just take that message, that simple message, and you bring it to souls. The message has its source in God, and the results of that message are also in God. We're just a voice crying in the wilderness. Amen? The message is only as good as the one that gave it. If God gave it, the message is good. And the message is trustworthy. The Bible says, In whom God, which cannot lie, promised before the world began. Amen? Understanding the power of the gospel to save will will give us boldness to preach the gospel. So, we've got to know that the source of it is God, but it's also the power of the gospel to save. That means, you look at the people around you. Now, if all you see is, Oh, somebody that I don't like. Oh, I don't like them. (laughs) They do something for me. They don't do something for me. It's all about you. (laughs) But if you look at these people and say, you know what? This co-worker, if he were to be hit by a truck right now, he would die and go to hell. And I have the divine message that I've never told him. Can you imagine standing before God knowing that? All of us have a story like that where we know we should have told them, but we didn't. I remember I had this one guy I was working with. He was the superintendent of the hospital that was being put up between Winkler and Morden. It was a huge project, and I was working on the water, uh, the water piping in there. And I knew him from the past. He was one of my dad's friends from a long time ago. And I, and I talked to him a little bit. And I said, oh, the Lord just wants me to give him the gospel. And I wanted to so bad, but it's just like I, I, just, didn't, I just didn't do it. <laughs> but I was convicted. And in my heart, I just, I need to give him the gospel. And, and then one Monday morning, I went to the job site there. And I, I looked around. I, I couldn't see him because I, maybe I'll talk to him today. And, and I said, uh, <laughs> you guys know where Keith is? Oh, he had a heart attack on the weekend. He died. <laughs> Boy, something like that will keep you thinking. <laughs> you don't draw back. You don't get ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> and in some way, for some reason, I was. But after that, the Lord beat me up good. <laughs> he says, you don't do that. 
You don't pull back. So I decided I'm going to go back there, and I did whatever I could to get the gospel to the people on the job site. Because I realized that's the only thing that will save a soul, is that message. As I talked to the different workers, talked to this guy, and he was, well, I'm Catholic from when I was, yeah, well, I was born Catholic, and, but he didn't know. He didn't know how someone could go to heaven. <laughs> I talked to another guy who was Portuguese, and he gave me his idea of what he thought, and it just began to dawn on me that <laughs> with all the hundreds of workers that are around here, <laughs> it seems like I'm the only one with the message that will save them. God, help me not to be ashamed. Because there may be a time you're the only one that's got the message, a divine message. Salvation means that is a savior, a deliverer, deliverance, a preservation from danger or destruction. It's not only about saving their soul from an eternity of hell, but you may be saving a family from destruction. You may be saving a life from, a, uh, from uh, drugs and alcohol and different things like that. When the Lord saves, he just doesn't save us for eternity. He starts that salvation immediately. <laughs> he turns us around, amen? Many times we have friends and family or people we know, and say, oh, yeah, their lives are just a mess. Yeah, they should get things together. And Well, how do you expect them to do that? <laughs> well, I'll need to get some good books. and <laughs> no. I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with the gospel. You want to salvage that family? You get on the gospel. You want to to save that situation where that child is being abused? You get on the gospel. That alcoholic father, you get on the gospel. That son that's addicted to drugs, you get on the gospel. That is our message. That is what we need to do. You don't need to talk about the King James Bible. You don't need to talk about dress standards. You don't need to talk about all these different things. But you need to give them the message of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We preach Christ and Him crucified. That is our message. Amen. It's the only message that will save. Understanding the power of the gospel to save everyone will give us a boldness to preach the gospel. Notice what it says. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, I think, is the only thing that's not racist in this world. (laughs) It seems like everything else somehow is. (laughs) Now, you know I'm just kidding, right? Politics will say. Folks, the gospel is not racist. The gospel looks at every soul and says, you know what? You are just as equally able to be saved as that person. In fact, in Revelation 5, verse 9, it says this. This is when, this is after it's all done. All of us that are born again are going to be raptured up by Revelation chapter 5, the church is in glory. Revelation chapter 6, the Antichrist starts working in the world and the tribulation comes. But now we're talking about the church. In verse 9 it says this, And they sung a new song, saying, 
Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. Who's this talking here? This is everybody that has ever been saved in the church age is standing before the throne of God and they're all singing this very song. And they're saying, you have redeemed us. And then you want to begin to say, to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That means before the throne that day, every language on the earth will be represented there before the throne of God. Every people group, there will be representatives from every people group on the earth will stand before God as a part of the church, as a part of the redeemed. Every kindred, every family. You think, boy, that family, it's amazing how the Lord will go in and just pick one person out of a family that you think is just totally hopeless. Everyone. No racism. Anybody can be saved. (laughs) When I realize whether I meet an East Indian, whether I meet an African, a Chinese person, whether I meet an American or a Canadian, whether I meet a Mexican or South American or Australian, that the message of the gospel is for every last one of them. They say, oh no, you can't talk to them because they have their own religion. Everybody without Christ has their own religion. That should not scare us. I don't care how organized it is or how many in their religion are on the earth. (laughs) We all have to submit to the same gospel. Every people, every tongue, every nation. Amen? When we begin to understand that, there is not a person we meet that we will not look at and say, you know what? This person needs a gospel. We don't understand they're from a different country. So... I remember we were in Israel. In Israel, the big deal is there to go to the River Jordan and get baptized in the River Jordan where Jesus was. And so we did that. I didn't get baptized, but I did a lot of baptizing. <laughs> so there was this couple that were there. So I probably baptized about 15 people. And then there was this couple that came up to me. Oh, we'd like you to baptize us. Well, I'm not doing this for tourism's sake. <laughs> you know. And so... I said to them, now they spoke Spanish. They were from South America. They were Brazilian. I said, okay, now I got myself in trouble. They're already in the water. <laughs> they're, they're next in line. I said, okay, what do I do? Well, it's just, no. So what I did is I told them, I said, well, I can't baptize you unless you've been born again. So I had to, through a translator, in their group, and there was about 30 of them in this bus group, and the one guy was translating, there was somebody with a camera recording the whole thing, and the translator was translating what I said to them. So here I am in the water, here they are in the water, and I'm preaching the gospel to them through a translator. (laughs) A lot of people are listening. And while I'm doing this, the guy behind the camera, he's just, <laughs> he's just, just <laughs> In other words, they knew these two were lost. Yeah. 
why they led him the Jordan River, I don't know. It was religious. It was a religious thing, right? But when I do this kind of stuff, I don't do this because of religion. <laughs> if I'm putting you under the water, it's going to be a picture of what's already happened in your heart. And if you've not been born again, you're not getting baptized. Amen. Anyways, I went through the gospel, spent probably 20, 25 minutes sitting there in the Jordan River, preaching the gospel to all these people. <laughs> then I asked them, so would you like to be saved? They were just crying already, just tears. Yes. So both of them right there led them in prayer and they both prayed and received Jesus as their Savior. And then I says, now I can baptize you. Yeah. Hey. I brought him up and I looked at him and said, based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother, yeah. in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, you should have seen their faces. Just glowing, just glowing. That was the best day of their life. And the people, they were, just, they were just in awe of what just happened here. It's not just about religion. It's about the gospel. God put me there that day in that very awkward position. <laughs> and he tested me. Are you willing to stand up? Are you ready? Yeah. That day I was not thinking I was going to preach the gospel in the Jordan River. Who would? <laughs> Amen. But I was ready. And I preached it. And two souls were saved because of it. And I was able to baptize them right away. And they went off rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never saw them again. Brazilian people. Amen. See, that just goes to show all people, all nations, all tongues. Doesn't matter who they are. The gospel is the same for everybody. It's not about your religion. Well, this is our religion. I'm sorry. If your religion is not based on the gospel, it is false. It is false. Because it's not a white man's religion. It's not a Hebrew religion. It's not a black person's religion. It is God's message to his creation, to mankind, saying this message will save you all if you would just simply believe. Amen. Amen. Understanding the power of the gospel to save by faith will give us boldness to preach the gospel. This isn't about getting them to some religious system. <laughs> this isn't about getting them to jump through hoops to get them saved. This is about a message they simply have to receive by faith and believe it by faith. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, that means to be firmly persuaded as to something. Firmly persuaded. Can I ask you this today? Are you firmly persuaded that what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago is enough to save you? Or are you constantly being plagued with thoughts that I have to do my part? If you're doing your part, it is totally canceling out his part. You're either trusting him 
or you're trusting yourself. Usually I ask somebody, I say, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? They would say, well, they'd either say, no, I don't. Or sometimes they'd say, yes, I do. And then when they say, yes, I do, I says, okay, what? How do you know that you would? Now, usually the sentence out of their mouth right now is going to tell you what they're trusting in. Many times I hear, well, I was baptized. Well, then you're lost. Your your baptism didn't save you. (laughs) It's not right. Your baptism is after salvation. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, they that gladly received his word were baptized. That means before you can be baptized, you have to gladly receive the message that Peter was giving. And that was that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and that he died for your sins. And those that gladly received that message, they were baptized. But never do you baptize and then somehow work on the faith afterwards. (laughs) That means if I were to ask you, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven? What would be your answer? And you've got to answer that for yourself. Because you're going to meet God yourself. Well, I, I prayed a prayer. Is that what the Bible just says? Pray a prayer and you can be saved. Believe. Not here. Oh, yeah, I heard that story. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's Sunday school belief. Yeah, my Sunday school teacher talked about that. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's one thing to say this is pretty good. It's another one to say, I have put 100% of my faith that I have, even if my faith is that small, I put it all in the fact that Jesus died for me. Amen. It's not a religious thing. It's a faith thing. It's a trusting thing. Believing means to trust in your heart. And folks, I am challenging you today. We can go through our whole life religiously. We can be a part of the church services. We can sing the hymns. We can say, oh yes, I'm going to heaven. But ask yourself, how do you know that? Have you trusted him? If you can add one thing to your trust in Christ, you're not saved. Well, I trust him, but... I also did this, or I'm doing this. Until you can let go of yourself, you can't be saved. You can't get it. You can't keep it. It's a free gift. Amen. Don't you be throwing your church and religion at me. Well, I've gone to church. Well, I've done this. I'm a member of that. Folks, there's a reason why the Bible says that there's tares among the wheat. And the church on this earth, not the one that's going to be called up into heaven, but the church on this earth, we can have tares among us. Those that aren't saved. And guess what? Their name is right next to the membership name of the one that is saved. 
So that doesn't make you go to heaven. <laughs> Membership in a church doesn't make you go to heaven. Being baptized is not going to make you go to heaven. Being faithful to that church. Going to church every day of your life wouldn't even start the journey for you to go to heaven. There's only one thing, the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Do you believe that Jesus, who is the Son of God, came down from glory, robed himself in man's body, man's nature? Why did he do that? So he could die like you would die. So he could suffer like you would suffer. So he could be put on a cross and die in your place. Do you believe that this God-man that came down and took upon himself the form of man so that he could die for you? Do you believe that he did that? Do you believe that he went to the grave? Do you believe that because he was the holy son of God, that death, as much as it wanted to hold on to him and keep him down there and throw him into the fires because he was the holy anointed one of God, death had no hold on him. And so he broke free and the third day he rose up into glory. That's my savior. He's no man. He's no angel. He is the very son of God the divine one that created the world. And he came and took upon himself your form so he could die and he could pave a road out of hell and out of death for you. And all you have to do is put your trust in him and he will safely tuck you inside of himself. And he says, where I am, you will be. That's salvation, my friend. (laughs) Baptism. It's good to show these people that. When we baptize here, we got the tank, we show people. That isn't about impressing God. That is about proving to the people in this congregation that I myself believe in the one that was buried, in the one that arose. Amen. Folks, had a young man in our college, and he was a good friend. In fact, because he was in the church because we knocked on his door. But he said he was saved. So we got him to come to church, and he had a good spirit. <clears throat> he came to church. He started going to Bible college, taking the classes. And I remember we had a personal, personal evangelism class, and so we were supposed to, you know, put on these exercises like we're meeting someone at the door, what we would say and so forth. And he did that. I remember uh, he was the one I was supposed to reach across the door and I, I knocked on the door and I started talking to him. He, he opened his eye. <laughs> we're just pretending in church, in the class, you know. But his eyes were just like this. And I remember how it just struck me and I says. If you know you're to die today, would you know you go to heaven or not? And he just looks at me, no. I thought he was just playing a part. But his response is, I was like, it just seems off to me. Now, I didn't deal with it because we were just at a class. We didn't really know. I didn't think the guy was lost. Didn't find out maybe two or three weeks later he had actually submitted and received Christ as his Savior. 
Now he's pastoring a church in Saskatchewan. So you can go to church your whole life. You can be baptized. You can be a faithful member. You could be a pastor that's lost. I've heard of pastors that got saved. I've heard of situations where their wives all of a sudden put their head and got saved in the service. It doesn't matter who you are. Don't allow pride to keep you sitting there and saying, oh, I've been here too long. You know, now if I would say I'd get saved, I'd feel foolish. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. There's a reason that the gospel is presented to you today and you need to deal with it now. And I think sometimes some of the things that you're dealing with in your life where you can never move forward. It's like in your heart, you know, God, I love you. And I, but you've never truly, maybe because you grew up in a religious system that taught work salvation and you never resolved that. Maybe there's just got to come a time where you just say, you know what, I'm resolving that today. (laughs) I'm turning to Christ with 100% of my faith. And that means if he didn't do it all, then I'm going to hell. Because there's not one bit of me in this thing. All I'm going to do is look to Jesus. Salvation has nothing to do with you. And if it is, if you're sitting there, yeah, but you're lost. You're without Christ. And if you were to die today, you'd go to hell. Oh, but I've been religious! Hell was full of religious people. Full of religious people. The only person not in hell is the one that turned his heart to Christ and says, I trust you. I trust what you've done. That's what gets you out of hell. Amen. Like the thief on the cross. Had no chance to get religious. He was a thief, condemned to die. He had Jesus Christ beside them, <laughs> coincidentally. No. In that moment, in that final few minutes of his life, he settled his eternity. He made a couple of very important statements. <laughs> While the other one, in fact, the Bible says that both of them were first mocking him. But then it seemed like the one began to see his reaction and began to take a second glance. But the other one kept mocking, hey, if you're the son of God, get us off of these crosses. Finally, the one guy says, be quiet. We deserve to be here. He doesn't. See, you need to understand that. Jesus didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve to suffer for you. He could have enjoyed glory eternally. And you all would have gone to hell. That thief you saw it that day. He doesn't deserve to be here. But then he made a statement. He said, Jesus, remember me. Oh, he was just grasping at straws. Maybe there's something in the last minute of my life that I can grab onto with this person, this Jesus, this son of God. And he did, he reached out. He says, I'm a sinner. 
I deserve to be here. I deserve to die. But Jesus, mercy. Mercy? I don't know if I'd like to have been saved that way. That's one of the most glorious salvations in all the Bible. When he turned his eyes back to the sinner, this condemned man that would have been in hell without him, Jesus had this message. He looked at him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That thief had enough faith. That's all he had. He just trusted. You are enough. Because I've got nothing. (laughs) Didn't have a chance to get baptized. Didn't have a chance to go to church. Didn't do one good thing. All he did was turn to Christ. You want to be saved today? That has got to become your salvation. You need to turn to Christ. Let go of everything you've ever held on to. Whatever you think you've got that's good, you've got to say, you know what? I deserve to die. I deserve to die. I need Christ and him alone. Let's bow our heads. I don't know how the Lord has been using this message. I want to first extend an invitation to you that are here and that perhaps you've never seen it like this. Perhaps you thought maybe church or maybe just praying a prayer or praying several prayers or doing something religious or being baptized or just trying your best or just being good or whatever, all these different things and somehow that's going to help me be saved. But today you're saying, you know what? In all reality, I'm like that thief on the cross. I've done nothing good. I deserve to die. But I believe that Jesus is the answer. I'm willing to trust him this morning. I'm willing to put 100% of the faith I have in the person of the Lord Jesus.